The book of Ruth is a love story. Be reading from two sections or portions of the book of Ruth and then into the New Testament, the gospel according to John. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem on Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrodites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Oprah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereaved of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, and that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, 
Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And now Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. I invite you to join me in John chapter 13, New Testament. St. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and then 19 through 20 in the same chapter. St. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Isaacariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Verse 19 and 20. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I sent receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Here ends Scripture reading. It's my delight at this time to introduce to us our guest speaker, Dr. David Allen, trained in medicine at St. Andrews University in Scotland and in psychiatry and public health at Harvard University in Boston. Dr. Allen has taught at Harvard and Yale. He has pioneered the development of treatment approaches to cocaine addiction. He founded the Renaissance Institute International here in Nassau, a private practice offering full psychiatric and psychological services. In 2008, Dr. Allen founded the Family People Helping People program. The program offers individual and group counseling and now comprises over 20 groups throughout New Providence, Bahamas. Dr. Allen serves as consultant 
to several Bahamas government ministries and national agencies, and in 2015 was granted the Bahamian Icon Humanitarian Award. He has written numerous books and scientific papers and is considered a leading international expert on the psychology of shame. He has a regular radio program Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. on FM 97.5 called Coming Home to the Heart. He also hosts a television program, People Helping People, on Wednesday evenings at 9 p.m. on the Jones Communication Network. Dr. Allen and his wife Vicki both love and serve Jesus Christ, and they have been long-standing friends both of the Christian Counseling Center and of Calvary Bible Church. Will you please welcome Dr. David Allen. Thank you so much, and it's so wonderful uh, to be here with you. Um, just a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity of here, being here at Calvary to witness to your name, to your love and your grace. We thank you so much for the many blessings. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Bless our words today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable, O God, in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past few years, I've been working on a particular psychological theory called the Contemplative Discovery Pathway. And that theory just posits that when we're born, you know, after the first nine months of your life, didn't you like it? The best time you ever had, and the waters burst, you got kicked out, and if that was enough, they cut the umbilical cord, and some of us are still looking for a place to plug in. You found a place, hang on to it, because they're disappearing these days. Then if that wasn't bad enough, they spank us and tell us, go and live. They abuse us as we come into the world. God have mercy. Anyway, the point is, after that birth, we have three instinctual needs. The child wants to feel safe, survival security. The child wants to feel love, connection. The child wants to feel empowered, power and control. And those three instinctual needs come together to symbolize God's love for us. We come from love to love to love and to go back to love. For God is love. We are born with the divine DNA, made in God's image. You have an authority card, meaning Dignity, identity, and value. But the sad thing about life is that even though there's a great love story which introduced you to the world, the minute you're born, we experience that life is wounded. And we begin the journey of our hurt trail. And sure enough, the safety zone leads to abandonment. And sure enough, the sense of love leads to rejection. And sure enough, the sense of empowerment leads to humiliation. But see, those instinctual needs of safety, love, and empowerment are not just instinctual needs. They're the stuff in which all the dreams in our life are made from. So whether you're 20, 50, 70, you want what? Safety, you want connection, and you want empowerment. You could see then from my challenge in the past few years, working with the criminal situation in our country, that in the drug situation, which we worked with in the 80s, a terrible um, epidemic, thank you. God for Pastor Honored, he stood with me when the Christian Counseling Center was formed. But usually you have to extrapolate um, 20 years hence after an epidemic to look at the social fragmentation. And even though I did a number of follow-up scientific papers on the, um, the cocaine addiction problem, 
In 2008, when I went back to review the situation, I found a powerful social fragmentation. There was crime and grime everywhere. Life was cheap. Property was not respected. Our work ethic was challenged. We were in trouble. And of course, since then, our murder rate has escalated up. And so the past six or seven years, we've had uh, um, murders over uh, 100, 100. I hope this year, I hope this year after much work, we'll see that dip. There are some scientists say that God is answering our prayer. But this has been a terrible time for us in our country. But make no mistake, it all started with the severe countrywide cocaine crisis of the 1980s. We were the first country outside South America to have a countrywide cocaine crisis. And that has led to this powerful social fragmentation in our midst. And throughout our country, wherever you go, you can see the powerful anger, the powerful violence, the powerful sense of grief. But the problem is, when somebody dies today, you start grieving. Tomorrow, somebody else is killed, and the grief is what? Aborted, which goes back to anger. And then you have intimacy dysfunction. And um, in fact, they say my study show, if you want to get killed in the Bahamas, get married. Because 50% of people sometimes, 50 women get hurt, and severely abused, and many are killed. Um, um, sad, but powerful social fragmentation. Then add the addiction to that, and you can see we've had a real challenge as a nation. The great news for us, we're small, and if we come together and work at it, we could change it. That's my faith. That's my message this morning. And so we go now to that ancient love story of um, um, this lovely couple, Elimelech and Naomi. They lived in Bethlehem. In fact, they were well off there. Uh, um, Elimelech means uh, actually God is sovereign. Naomi means she's being pleasant. So pleasant means married to God is sovereign. You can't beat that. Then they had two children, Marlon and Chilion. They were kind of sickly, but um, many of us families, we have our challenges. But the sad thing, Bethlehem means the place of bread. And so a famine came to Bethlehem. And so the place of bread had no bread. When human beings experience the reality of a place that's supposed to give bread and there's no bread, you find a lot of reaction, a lot of negative reaction. That happened in our country in the 80s. The place of bread, there was no bread. People on drugs, kids getting murdered. And it continued and continued and continued. We saw beautiful places collapse. We saw families absolutely destroyed. And as a result of that, we had a sense of horror. In fact, people felt a sense of hopelessness. And it's important to recognize when a dream shatters, a lie is born. Let me say it again. When a dream shatters, a lie is born. When the dream of safety shatters and abandonment starts to show its place, the lie born is, I'm hopeless. I'm not enough. Nobody's going to be there for me. When the dream of love shatters and rejection takes place, the lie born is, I'm unlovable. Nobody will ever want me. When the dream of empowerment shatters and then we experience humiliation, the lie is born, I'm a failure. I'm helpless. And so what has happened in our culture, in our country, that these lies play so loud? I'm hopeless. We're hopeless. We're unlovable. Nothing good can happen here. And finally, um, <laughs> we're a failure. There's no help. And as a result of that, it's been so painful that if you let your lies hang around long enough, they become your truth. And the sad thing, even among Christians in our country and parts of the world, as we let these lies filter into our hearts, the devil takes those lies and makes them our truth. Oh, yes, we come to church. Oh, yes, we are married. Yes, we smile. But down deep, 
You feel this intense sense of hopelessness. You feel this deep sense, I'll never be loved. You feel this deep sense that I'm a failure. Some run from the country. Some run behind uh, um, gates. Some run with making locks outside, inside. And one lady came into the house the other day. She got through the lock outside. But then the lock inside the living room, got, she got lost the key for that. Couldn't find the key to her bedroom. So she was locked in our house, you know, with the locks. Anyway, God bless us in a very difficult situation. But that situation meant that somehow the dream shatters and lives are born. And Psalms 4 says, how long will you believe the lie and turn my glory into shame? Have you allowed the lies, Christian friend, to take charge of your life? Have you shared those lies with your children? It hurts me when people talk about the hopelessness of my country. The Bahamas is no good. That's nonsense. We're one of the only countries left in the world where you can raise the name of Jesus. And I've been around the world. I just came from a tour of China. Lecturing in Hong Kong. You can raise the name of Jesus. That's our strength. This country is not over. Don't run from it. Run to it. We can turn this around. And I'll show you examples how God has used our work to show tremendous healing in our midst. The Bahamas stands out in the world. There should be a weekly, um, annual Christian Renewal Week in the Bahamas to bring people from all over the world to raise the name of Jesus. That's unique. You don't find that as you travel around the world. I know, I've been there. You know, we were in Texas the other day, speaking to the American group, like psychiatric um, conference, and uh, they said, well, how do you manage this God thing? Well, I mean, Texas, my God, I thought Texas and God was synonymous. Dallas is a godly city, right? And I said, well, boy, that's just cool. And I said, well, you know something? The sun rose this morning. I had nothing to do with it. And it sat this afternoon. I still didn't have anything to do with it. Did you? And they said, no. Well, then, when we want to talk, maybe there's a power then bigger than me and you. Because the first Bible was the creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Have you seen the skies the past few nights? The beautiful clouds and the moon and the sea. Wow, they speak loudly. And the language goes to all the world. Then, of course, we have the incarnation of Christ. But some of we need to go back and not run from these issues. The other one is the whole gender identity. And Houston, I couldn't say he, she. I had to say they. And so I said, what? So I said, they, and they, okay, everybody, hey, no more he, she, it's they. Oh, boy, <laughs> i got to play the game. There's a game out there, not here in the Bahamas. And let me say, in spite of our problem, there's something that's solid. There's something that's meaningful. The faith of our fathers still stands here. Do not leave that faith. Calvary, be the transferential institution. Be the light that stands on the hill. And no matter how dark it is, that light stands out. That's what the Christian counseling center is. And so there was no bread. And the Limelech, even though his name means God is sovereign, he experienced abandonment, he experienced rejection, he experienced um, um, humiliation. And those three things add up to make shame. Self, S, H, hatred aimed at me. And at that point, shame is so uh, uh, painful to the human psyche that the brain, through a series of neural mechanisms, creates a shameful self. That always involves self-absorption, self-gratification, and I've got to have the control. So at that point, I said, what? We see Elimelech's full self being formed with multiple layers. Self-absorption. In other words, instead of my being, I am who I am in God's image. My self-absorption means my being gets fused with my life situation. I no longer I am who I am in God's image. I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what I know. I am what I possess. 
The tragedy is when you lose what you possess. When you don't know who you know. When you can't do what you do, you are what? Nothing. Fellow Christian, be careful of your self-absorption. You are being made in the image of God, and Christ redeemed that, and nothing can characterize that. You are, I am, who you are in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You have an un-American express card. You have an authority card, a divine DNA, which God has given you. Rise up and shine, for God is sovereign. And so what happened was the false self-formed, and he'd find some place to please himself, self-gratification. Then, of course, there's a sense of um, uh, humiliation and a result of the false self, control, arrogant control. I've got to control the situation. My family needs help. So guess what? Even though Moab is the place of the enemies of Israel, I'm taking my family down to Moab. We've all done that, haven't you? When you find a place of no bread and shame comes into your life, you head for Moab. Moab was the son of Lot and his wife. And, of course, there were enemies of Israel throughout. The Moabites were the ones who, with the Amorites, blocked Israel as they went to the promised land. King Balak came from Moab as he hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. But this dear man, whose name meant God is sovereign, faced with a powerful, multi-layered false self, follows his self-absorption, follows his self-gratification, follows his control, and heads now to Moab. You've done the same thing I have. What's your Moab? Some gone to alcohol. Some got a double fence around their house. Some got a double lock and cameras all over the place, even in your bedroom. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That's like when AIDS came out. This husband's wife came down to breakfast and she had a, uh, he, no, the husband came down, he had a condom on his nose, one of his ears and mouth. His wife said, you're really taking this seriously. Uh, one is, we as Christians are living the same way. We recognize that we, we lose the fact that God is sovereign and we move to our Moabs. Some are going to a church that fits our belief, you know. It's nice, and they don't really talk about sin anymore. We've done many things. We've left our children. There's no, there's no devotion in our home anymore. We're married, but we don't pray together anymore. We're married, but don't read the scripture in our home anymore. We're married. We have no altar in the home. Is there a place in your home where your kids know when you go there? Shh. Daddy or mommy is with God. We've gone to Moab. They, they wish the, 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 the alien god, Chemosh. Here's a godly man. And Naomi, his wife, with Marla and Sheila, they're heading to Moab. Have you gone to Moab? I know it's painful sometimes facing the Bahamas. We've done many things. We've gone to build our business bigger. We've made a lot of money. Some of them gave up. Now, the problems with the is they, especially the man, they talk so cool, man. I'm cool. I'm blessed. Couldn't be any better, man. Praise God. Mind you, the wife gone, the money gone, even both of the dog is gone. But I'm still blessed. They dropped down dead. The MRI center down there, where she, the woman said, Doc, many times a woman comes, a friend bring her. I do the test and something can be done. But when men come, you hear the ambulance coming. I do the test, but ain't nothing going to happen. Man, go to the doctor. Stop being strong. Stop fooling yourself. Listen to your wife. She told you, go, go. And uh, because if you don't, you know, you could, anyway, you know the rest of that. You're a strong Bahamian oh, man. Well, they were in Moab, and it, you know, I guess it's hard being a Kennedy in Bethlehem and a sharecropper in Moab. Elimelech was soft, kind of like me. In Camp Road, they say I'm soft. In fact, the women in Camp Road protect me. That's something, they, they say, because I can't fight, you know, and they say they protect me. And then they do. The Babbits in the drug world at 12 o'clock, they'd go before me. And take me anywhere. And they'd stand around me. So uh, women are very, very, very strong. But the point I'm making is that 
Elimelech was soft. He was brought up very soft. And as a result, things were tough in Moab, trying to make a living there. And within a short time, he died. The two sons married uh, two Moabitess ladies. One was uh, Oprah, not Oprah. <laughs> Oprah, not Oprah. <laughs> Got that. And the other one married Ruth. And finally, those brothers were soft too. And they couldn't handle Moab, and they died. And now we have Elimelech gone, Marlon and Chilean gone, and there's this great woman, Naomi, bereft for sons and husband, and she's got two foreign daughters-in-law. Yes, she faces the shame of abandonment. She faces the shame of rejection. She faces the shame of humiliation. But notice that she doesn't develop a powerful false self. She doubles down and she faces her shame. Can you face your shame this morning? I know you're a believer, but there's things in your life you've got to deal with. You haven't dealt with yet. The things you've done, you've got to really get healing from. There's an unforgiveness hanging around you, causing bitterness, which we now know can be a pass on to your children. Have you faced the shame in your life? A Christian must be someone who's willing to go to their shame. Naomi, first of all, faced reality. She got her daughters and law together and said, look, ain't nothing happened here. Things are bad. I lost my husband. You lost your husband's. You know, in those days, we have no social welfare or no national insurance. Nothing good could happen. And they cried together. Then she hung on to the providence of God. May God bless you and be kind to you. Isn't that beautiful? Like you were kind to my dead sons. Because of your kindness, my sons, may God bless you. This woman is hurt, shamed. But before, because of her faith in God, she could say, yes, God has treated me horribly. I've been hurt bad. I've been beaten. Someone's so afraid to admit in God. I said, but God hurts, you know. Sometimes the Christian walk is filled with a lot of pain. I'm sorry. The people sitting here this morning have been hit really hard. Naomi was hit hard. Nothing to hang on to. And then they just cry. And they cry. Finally, she said, I have nothing. I have nothing to give you. The best thing you can do is go back home. Go back to your family and your people. You know, that's amazing because often in the Bahamas when you're hurt, you want to what? Hang on from you. Hang on to each other. I've been there for you, so what? You better be there for me. Not so Naomi. She's like, I have nothing. The best thing you do is what? Go back to your people. Well, Oprah said, yeah, she's right. This is a bad scene. Must be like Oprah for true. Um, ain't nothing happening here. And so she's gone. She's gone. In fact, the Bible says she's gone. She's back to her people and her gods. Now, in Camp Road, they told me she is the grandmother of Goliath. I said, I didn't know that. She was almost a big woman because Goliath was a big man. I learned a lot of things in Camp Road, you know, anyway. <laughs> they must have the last say. But, you know, stop and watch the Spirit of God work. In the midst of the shame and the pain, the abandonment, the rejection, the humiliation, there's Ruth, a young girl, a widow. Everything crashed. She looks at Naomi, do not urge me to leave you. In other words, you've been there for me. I will be there for you. Can you say that this morning as a believer? Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you dwell, I will dwell. And where you're buried, I will be buried. And God forbid, if anything but death, separates us, and watch those two lonely, hurt women as they make the check back to Jericho. 
It's dusty. It's hard. And they're walking and walking and walking. It's called the road to nowhere as they go back. Unless they reach Bethlehem. Naomi, I guess, being a very sophisticated person in Bethlehem, they look at her and say, oh my gosh, Naomi makes pleasant. This woman looks horrible. She's gone. And that's what they look at you too. What's wrong with you, man? You got AIDS, eh? Anyway, Bethlehem was like Bahamians. They looked at her and said, Naomi, what's wrong, man? What's wrong? You don't look like the woman you left. And you know, notice again, she accepted her shame. You're right. I've been hit hard. Life has hit me hard, man. Some of you this morning, life has hit your heart. Don't deny it. Don't develop a false self. God is always close to the broken heart and those who could face their shame. Yes. The great news, when you hit your shame, another presence shows up in the room. It's like the chronological movement of the pain of life is intercepted by the presence of the holy God. God comes down in pain and shame. Because Jesus Christ on the cross, he was abandoned too. He was rejected. He was humiliated. He was shamed, not because of what he did, but whose shame did he carry? Yours. So you can be willing to face your shame because Christ is there with you. And so Naomi said, don't, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. It takes a lot of courage for a woman to do that, you know. But she was so honest. Guy Sutile, who I used to go to um, Italy two years ago to have give lectures every year, and Guy told me this story. Now, Guy is a good talker. I don't know whether it's true or not, but he said, you know, uh, Leonardo da Vinci took 20 years to do the Last Supper. And Guy says the reason was he couldn't find somebody to be Judas. So the pain he stayed there for 19 years without Judas. But one day the maestro Leonardo was walking through Milan, and he sees this man. Wow, hello, sir. He said, Hello, maestro. I know you. It's important, but the most important thing is I'm doing this painting the Last Supper, but I need somebody to be Judas. And you look just like him. You're ugly. You look hard. You look evil. You look rough and tough. Can I use you to paint you as Judas? He said, Maestro Leonardo, you know me. 19 years ago, I was your model for Jesus. So a guy tells me in that painting of the Last Supper, the model for Jesus and Judas, the same person. Life can hit you hard. It can take a beautiful woman as you look today, a man, and break you. That's true. That's reality. Please don't sit on your laurels today. If you're happy, may God bless you. But life could be harsh. But as those two ladies went back to Bethany and faced the pain of life, heaven was becoming alive. Did you realize that? That as a Christian, we've been caught up with Christ and seated in heavenly places. You claim your heavenly positions have died. So even though they were broken on earth, heaven was active. And Naomi sort of encourages Ruth. You know the story, Ruth marries Boaz. They have a child called Obed. And Obed has a child called Jesse. And Jesse has a child called David. Out of that broken, hopeless situation comes the ancient psalmist warrior. Of Israel, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, Lord, I don't think of things too high for me, but I have learned to calm and quiet my soul. But deeper than that, we see David being chosen as the lineage in which the Lord Jesus Christ came. Did you recognize that? Out of the brokenness, out of the ashes of the shame and hurt of life, now the beauty is about to break forth in the Psalms for the greatest beauty 
is Christ being born in Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silence stars go by. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And now we shift over. As Christ is having his termination feast with his disciples before going to the cross, he gives us seven principles to live by. The first one, remember, I have loved you to the uttermost. I have loved you to the uttermost. Regardless of what happens to you, my love will always be there. No matter how dark the hurt trail is, no matter how deep your shame is, my love will always be there. Though the mountains be shaken, my love for you will never be shaken. My unfailing love will always be there. Oh, I wish I could make you realize that today. How God's love comes. It was a few years ago, okay, nine o'clock, a person called, American, a friend of mine, he was home. He's got a call from his wife. My wife and her sister had gone down on a bucket trip. A bucket trip. Uh, they went down to Samuel Key. And the call said, your wife is drowned. I said, they're in my office, and I pondered. I couldn't get Samuel Key. Now, half an hour went by. She called us out. I said, well, there's no point sitting here. And I told her, this is not going home. I sat in the room, and I watched her clothes and stuff. I'd just seen them at seven. And finally, I got the nurse and said, Doc, it looks like it's over. And I, I just felt that pain. And um, but I love you to the uttermost. And I said, call me back in a few minutes. I call her back. I said, Doc, let's try one more thing. She put the phone to Vicky. She said, Vicky, this is David. I love you. And guess what? She started to talk. She saw Chinese walking around. Maybe she saw the Chinese coming to the Bahamas. Uh, she saw, it would, it would have been Chinese. And then a guy came in. He was an anesthesiologist visiting, visiting from LA and gave her leg six. He's on the ambulance plane coming to Nassau. And I'm waiting now at doctor's hospital and there she is. But the thing was, the guys who rescued her were two guys. Their father was an NBA player. They were their speedboat. They jumped toward the safety. But they called me and said, Dr. Allen, can we come to see what happened? Because we had to pull her body, her dead body, up on the rocks. And it tore up a bathing suit. Her back must be torn up. I picked them up from, <laughs> I love California. They were saying, hey, miracle, miracle, miracle. And they said, can we go to see her? So I took them to the doctor's hospital and they saw Vicky. And they said, man, man, oh, man, you were dead. What happened? And then, of course, he, he said, Dr. Allen, do you think I could see her back? I said, what? We had to pull up on the reef, the rocks. When they looked at it, and the baby was torn up. There was not one mark on Vicky's body on the back. They said, man, it's a miracle. It's way worse. We, we're Jewish. We don't believe in, you know, God, but we, we, we fight a lot over money. But, you know, we're not going to fight anymore. I love that. We're going to fight anymore because, you know, there's something going on here. I says, brother, God is real. And then 2 Corinthians 1 and 9. These things have happened to you, that you may not trust in yourself, but believe in God who raises even the dead. Frank Young, head of the FDA, had a chance to review the situation. He said, he really was dead. I don't talk about this. Here I can share. But God showed me that. And the wife sitting down there, asked about the story, asked about the Chinese she saw walking through the room. I don't know. That's why they're here. I don't know. But the point I'm making is that God's love is to the uttermost. Secondly, they were having a time of communion. You know, it's so important. As the Bahamas say, 
You can break one stick. It's hard to break ten. Please, Christian friend, you need somebody with you. You're not good enough to be alone. In fact, you're a danger to yourself if you don't have a friend or some Christian community. Really important. Coochie-coochie and hoichie-toichie stops ouchie-ouchie. Really important. Bahamians are trying to live alone now, isolated in their gated fences or their locked-up yards or their cambered yards. You need somebody with you. Christ comes in people. And when you avoid people, you're avoiding the Lord Jesus Christ. He had together. Jesus needed his 12 disciples. He had his female friends too, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and others. David had his Jonathan. You can't live alone. Thirdly, in the midst of that salubrious environment, Judas was planning to blow the whole game. You've got to face resistance. Whatever you do in life, there will be resistance. If you don't have enough resistance or problems, I can give you some before you leave today. All right? But you will have resistance. And resistance sometimes comes through the devil right in your own heart. You become your own Judas. You betray yourself. Sometime in your children, sometime in the office, but it always comes. The point I want to make is Judas's plan did not stop Jesus or God's plan. But how many of us in this room today, God has called us. You know, he's called you to a special work. Jeremiah 1 and 5, I knew you before you were born. I call you to what the work I set for you. God has called you to work. David served God's purpose in this generation. God has a special work for you. But because we are so codependent on what other people think of us, they say something or do something, and we just give up on the mission God has set for us. Oh, brother and sister, if God has called you to do his work, do it. And somebody's going to criticize you. In fact, right now, somebody's talking about you. You didn't know that. that Yeah. Somebody does not like you. Somebody wants your business to fail. Somebody wants your marriage. But continue on. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And then fourth, humility. You know, we, we travel so heavy. Jesus took off his outer garment and dressed like a slave. Are you traveling too heavy? We've got so much going on in our world today. We've got to unload. And then living simply, he took a basin and water. You know, making love or showing love, it's the simple stuff. Everybody dieting now. Just give them water to drink when they come to visit. The parent came and not to go to the house anymore. They're scared somebody's going to complain about the rug or the wall is not painted. Well, they can complain anyway. But invite them anyway. Just give them water and say, you're on a diet. And make them fightful and say grace for it. It's like the old man from Governor's office. There's no food in Nassau. We'll have a little hot water and say grace. Took five days before the food came. He lived to be 96. So he said the food killing people anyway. Just drink hot water. God bless you. Number six, service. With the basin and water, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Do you wash your brothers and sisters' feet? Listen to them. People ducking people, you know. One lady said, talk, I love that sister. Remember the time she told me a problem? My head hurt you. And when I get home, oh gosh, she's there. Call you right back. Lie. She hang up. We're ducking people. We're in a society. We're friends and becoming strangers and strangers are friends. When I have lunch with a stranger, it's wonderful. Can we have lunch again? But this, uh-uh, no more. So I say, you don't like her. No, talk. I love her. I just can't take it. Go to the Christian council and load and pass on and there. Go there. And God be a husband and a friend. Don't carry all this stuff at home. He washed their feet. Peter didn't want his feet washed, but Jesus said, Peter, you don't get it. Your feet can't be washed. You can't play. But imagine Jesus coming to Judas. And those eyes meet each other. 
in his all-knowing God sense. Judas, you don't have to do this. Judas, you're the accountant of my disciples, man. You know, you know, I kind of trusted you. But oh, when shame is so hard, the heart becomes hardened. Then watch Christ as he bows and watches Judas' feet. You see, brothers and sisters, it's easy to watch the feet of someone who loves you. But to watch the feet of someone who's going to kick you your teeth or destroy you is what love really means. <laughs> a few years ago, my daughter came into the room. See, there's three armed men in the house with guns. And uh, I got out of bed. But you know, beside the bed, there's this old cross. This has been made by an old lady in Washington. She's 85. And she said to me, Dr. Eleanor, you can't help me, but I came to see you anyway. Um, I bought a gun, and then Americans said they buy a gun, and I'm kidding. So I started trying to duck behind my desk, just in case she had it. But I, I called my friend in Florida. She just read your book in Search of the Heart. She said, before you kill yourself, go see this man and see what can happen. So she came in, I said, she said, Doctor, I've got problems bigger than me. I've been a missionary. I've been a pastor's wife. But for the first time in my 85 years, I've had a problem bigger than me. So I bought a gun, and the old lady would have to just argue with God. Lord, you know I've been faithful, but please, I can't. This one is going to take me out. The shame of it is actually worse than killing myself. So I realized at that point, when the heart is so hurt, the room becomes kind of dark, and I've seen that a few times in my work. And I said, you heard about the cross? Yeah, I know all about the cross for salvation. I know, but the cross for management. What do you mean, Alan? I said, well, it says in Isaiah 53, 12, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Do you realize that Christ of the cross in time is outside our temporal realm, you know, eternity, crucifixion and resurrection happens. And so when Christ died on the cross, he was carrying your stuff too. Have you let him, would you, can you let him carry the stuff you can carry? I said, the cross for management. Just give it to him on the cross. Say, carry this for me. She looked at me, I was crazy. But you know, we worked together for three months. She got better and better. And then she came and I said, Mama, how are you doing? Well, I'm much better. Well, one more session. I came with this big bar. The next session, the thing's poking out. Then I really got scared. Maybe she could bring the gun and finish me off. But this is what she pulled out. She said, I made this little cross in the woods, put it in my room, and every day I say, Jesus, the old lady can't carry this. You've got to carry this with me. He said, she said, Doctor, he carried it. He allowed me to continue living. I don't have to shoot myself. He said, please tell the people that I'm dead and gone, that Jesus can carry his stuff. Some things are too heavy for you to carry in life, brother and sister. Give it to the Jesus on the cross that have carried for you and have the victory of the resurrection. You can't be that independent. Oh, the old rugged cross. I will have a true. That night when I got on my bed, the three gunmen came to the room. This is by me. The, the maids always try to kick it under the bed. It's not the most likely looking. <laughs> but I, I like, so I always have to put it together, and I'll come home, and it'll be kicked under the bed again. So when I got out, you know, that's where this cat. And so I went to the three guys with the guns. I said, look, man, guys, I'm a daughter and the kids. Take me out in the living room. You can do what you want to do. As so I went there, and they let the kids stay back. And as they stood around the table, there's three guns on me. The Spirit of God's presence just came. And I said, brothers, you know, I'm really trying hard. 
Do you mind if I pray for you? Well, to my surprise, the brothers put their guns by their side and bow their heads. Now, you know, I, have a, I have a sense of humor. I wanted to break out laughing. But then I, I ain't crazy. You know, David, don't mess with this. That's three guards, man. And this ain't real. You know, this is real. But the brothers are, I said, should I run now? And they popped my chain up before he prayed, and they dropped my chain. I felt like, man, don't drop my chain. I, I, I thought it was a valuable chain. Please take that so I could tell people, Alicia took my chain. And then they said, can we go now? I said, sure. And they're gone. And the police caught him, and they said, yeah, there was an old man who prayed for us. So I said, officer, can you take out old from the statement? They said, no, doc, no, you've got to keep that in. Anyway, I wish it ended there. No. A few weeks ago, a little boy, we have a court order program. One little boys came in. Dr. Allen, I'm the brother, younger brother of the brothers who held you up with a gun. And now he's in my program. Oh, the mystery of God. As you wash each other's feet. And then the final thing, transcendence and eminence. Jesus said, I'm going now. Remember when I go? When people see you, they see me. And seeing you and they see me, they see my father. So I come to Calvary this morning to be with you. But I came to be with who? Jesus. Suppose you saw your husband as Jesus. Oh, my mom said, dog, don't mess with that. I'm sorry. That's the Bahamas. My children, yes. No, no, your husband. Like Jesus. Your wife. Your friend. Then one Saturday, I'm outside my house and in the media. And I see this guy with three children. Looking around the grass. I said, man, what you doing? He said, oh, Doc, I'm showing the kids where we spent last night. I said, what? Well, we were driving over Clifton Pier. My wife left me. I was going to kill myself with the three kids. But just before I got over the Clifton Pier, a voice said, go park on Dr. Allen's median in front of his house. I said, why me? And so I just drove a car here last night. And this wee park with a nose pointing at your house. And all of a sudden, there was peace. We went to sleep. Well, I wanted to see the guardian angel, too. So I got there some nights trying to find him, but I can't find him. The point I'm making is, that's a real story. God shows up still. The miracle still happens. Jesus said, when people see you, they see me. I didn't know my house was an investiture of God's presence. But I can show you the story. Another lady was driving up there. People like to drive up there. And she had, they always take their children because they don't trust the men. Any kid over seven, they're taking. And a little baby was only six, seven months. The baby started, she couldn't speak, said, Mommy, 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 stop, 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 stop. She turned around. Next day she called, told me the story. How a little baby who couldn't speak. Now, what, where did that voice come from? You see, years ago, I would say, I'm even scared to tell the story. I tell the story now, I am. God shows up. Jesus is real. His spirit is here. Calvary, Christ is alive. And she's now together with me, one of the best people in my group, the family. God is real. My love, I love you to the uttermost. Don't forsake the seven yourselves together. You need community. Thirdly, the resistance will be there, but don't let it distract you. Fourthly, humble ourselves. Fifthly, simplify your life. Sickly, wash each other's feet. And suddenly, don't forget that God shows up in people. So when you see a brother and sister, 
You're not seeing them as themselves. You're seeing Jesus. 